you know, it was the same thing then when I was sort of even meeting the local salespeople. It's like, oh my gosh, you're so young. You know, you're wearing shorts and you're doing this and that. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, yeah. Then so you then you want to lie about your age. I had this immediate instinct to justify myself by saying, no, I'm 35, I'm 40, or whatever. Probably looked nothing like it, but it's just sort of like was this immediate like, how do I change the way this person looks at me because they clearly look at me and they wonder what's really what. Um, kind of the only time in my life where I ever felt sort of where I was being judged in a way that age really mattered because age doesn't matter to me Welcome to the Light Lounge the first podcast for lighting designers creatives and designers who work with light My name is Thomas Milch. I'm a lighting designer in New York City. And in this week's episode, I'm truly excited because I speak with one of the great lighting design masters, creatives and business owners of our times. I speak with the fantastic Sean O'Connor. Sean has established his company over 20 years ago and his love and desire for lighting, for design, for fashion, for architecture, for the creative process at large has brought him through his work amazing recognition in the form of awards from the ILD, GE Edison, the IES and even a gold medal for design excellence from the American Institute of Architecture. So Sean has his lighting design practice actually located in LA, but he generously invited me to meet him in a beautiful design townhouse in the center of Manhattan. The interior design was done, of course, by his partner, a successful interior designer. How else could it be? And before he actually became such an amazing business owner and designer as he is today, there were a couple of interesting stories and challenges ahead because he just started with 25 years old. Absolutely incredible. But luckily, he had a creative environment that he grew up in that showed him how to get started. My, my grandmother was an amazing painter, and um, my, my dad's side of the family is, is really creative or talented. And so um, I didn't really know or understand. I think as a child, you're taught to draw. It's something you do to pass time. And then, you know, over you know, the first few years of my life, I was five years old, I think when my grandmother first started, you know, take me under her wing and painting canvases together. And there was something that was amazing about the bond between your grandmother and you and the sort of the time that you spend together and also the things that you created together. And I think that creating something um, like that sort of gave a greater value to it. So maybe there's a beginning of some collaboration as it were, but um, also just sort of really fulfilling. So much more than just sort of doing drawings on paper or drawing things that you like as a child, whether you're drawing houses or bicycles or surfboards or whatever the things, cars that, that you know, that as a young boy you're excited by, this sort of became something else, painting landscapes and things of this nature. Did this sort of, um, have you ever, ever considered becoming an artist? Maybe you are, I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, there, there's always that debate, I suppose, about what we do. Is it art? Is it science? Is it something else? I think... Um, Yeah, originally my, my plan was to be an artist, uh, so I grew up with that. Um, I went to a high school for the arts, so the intention was to sort of pursue that path. Um, in my senior year in that school, I sort of transitioned into theater, technical theater, and that's when I first sort of experienced lighting um, as a thing. And I didn't really know that until much later on when I looked back and sort of understood that, that was maybe my first attempt or, or experience with lighting that you can control in a way to create an environment, a space, an emotion. Um, 
Because similarly, after sort of this idea of art for education, you know, it was like, oh, well, you know, art doesn't pay the bills and so on. So okay, I'll do commercial art, I'll do graphic design. That didn't actually happen. I ended up going to school for architecture. So much more sort of idea of com commercial um, design. So you're sort of taking all these sorts of things and now you're a problem solver instead of an expression. Mm -hmm. At least that was the way it was, it was you know, originally thought of. But then I sort of quickly came to this idea that in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a lot of very expressionistic architecture happening in Los Angeles right. where I grew up. And so I saw that and said, oh, that's what I want to do. That kind of combines all of these notions. And so I ended up going to, to school at SciArc which was at the time, and still to this day, a very sort of experimental mm -hmm. architecture school where the forms are, are not your typical forms. And so I was able to sort of learn a lot there through that, sort of keeping that idea of art within all of these things. Was then the art also the connecting point between you and Eric Kahn? How, how did he influence you? Eric was an amazing uh, man. He was an instructor of mine at SciArc my first year and I think he was an amazing architect. He really sort of challenged the way that you look at things and understood things. And so I think that a big part of what we do, which is I think I credit this to Eric a lot, is how you see something yeah. and how you take it in and how you understand it and contextualize it or recontextualize it. Um, and so I think he was really influential for me in that way and was also very supportive of of my way of, of thinking, seeing, doing things. And so we had a really great exchange. Was it different, your way of thinking and seeing things, or? Um, maybe a little bit. I think, you know, hard to, ex hard to explain it looking back at it 25 years ago or 26 mm -hmm. years ago, whatever it is now. And, and you know, I, I don't necessarily, I, I don't like to qualify myself as being different, I suppose. But I, I think that... When you're, when you're young and a lot of the people that you're in school with, you know, the architecture may be brand new to them, design, visual things, drawing, things I've been doing my whole life at this point. And so I think that I came into it maybe a different perspective and I was ready for something a little bit more. Yeah. Did you then, was your first job uh, while working, was it architecture driven or was it, when did you? Well, okay. that's, that's sort of the, that's sort of the funny thing and, and perhaps the catalyst of, of all of the creative things for me was I, um, I worked for a company called Barney's New York and Barney's, as you very well know, right on the corner here, um, was a, is a fashion retailer and they were very much on the cutting edge, bringing in designers that no one had ever heard of in the United States. And so they had a very amazing visual language that was unlike most retailers. So the stores combined amazing architecture and design with art, not for sale, yeah. amazing store fixtures designed by artists, and then amazing fashion. So again, another idea of art and design all sort of coming together in this place. And I was very fortunate at the time You know, the architect we worked with was Peter Marino, you know, in a different sort of way that we think of Peter Marino than today, but still incredibly talented. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in our department we had, which was the creative department, we had amazing talents like Simon Doonan, um, who everyone knows these days. And then um, Steven Johanknecht is somebody who worked with, with Simon. He was amazing and he's actually still to this day a client of ours um, in his you know, current role. Was that was that sort of when you started building your relationship before um, you did your own business? Was this have, would you consider yourself a good or a relationship builder? Um, 
I'd like to think so, because I think a lot of our business is based on relationships, and I think that that's the great success of, of anything, I think, is relationships, and I think lighting is a very relationship-driven business. Um, at, at Barney's, I guess, to sort of finish the thought, was that we were building all of these stores, and so we had a lot of interface with Peter Marino, and then also a lighting design firm, and that was sort of my first real sort of understanding of lighting in the professional environment, and seeing that in, in real life go from conception to fruition. Um, and so then I learned from Bill Schwinghammer um, a lot, whether he remembers or not, I don't know, because I was so young. But um, I think that really sort of set me on the course. So he was, that was like the three, the three parties involved, you as sort of the client from Barney's, then Peter Marino as the architect, and then Bill as the lighting design. Or right, the so I was on the client side. I worked for Barney's. Yeah. So we were in the creative department there. Did this teach you a lot about sales or more about? Nothing about sales. I think we were really, it was an amazing time at Barney's. I think the creative freedom was, was so incredible. I think it's something that I don't know how it could be repeated again today. I think just the, the timing of things before the internet and you know so much visibility to things you really had to study to find and learn yeah. and meet people, artists and designers and things. And there was no email really yet. I mean, it was really a different time which sounds so hard for me to say because I'm still very young. Um, and I was very young then. I was very, very young then and very fortunate to be there. Um, How old was it? Like, uh, it was in my early 20s. Yeah. Was that, was it a, a deliberate decision to come from, um, from California to New York? Or how long have you been? I in spent some time in New York. I spent some time in California with Barney, so I did both. Okay. So, you know, with the expansion. So I actually was at Barney's in California first, then I came here for a bit, and then oh. I went back to California with the opening of the Beverly Hills store. Okay. So you had, have you been working for Bill Schillhammer here? or? I never worked for Bill. Bill was um, our wedding consultant at Barney's. And so when it came time to store opening, it was time yeah. to focus. That's really when I first met Bill. And then sort of after a while, sort of helped with focusing, learned yeah. a lot about it, and then lighting just sort of became something I was responsible for from a maintenance standpoint, really, and focusing as merchandise changes were happening. It's so interesting how small moments can can propel something that you think, wow, this is so interesting, I want to pursue that. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I have no idea if he remembers any of this. I mean, it could just be a passing moment, like you say, that then sort of plants the seed that then takes on something else. But I still admire him very much. I think his work is amazing. Yeah. From from there on, did you jump into building your own business right away? Or did you have, I think, um, Daryl Hawthorne was in San Francisco, also someone that... Yeah, so after after Barney's, I decided, well, you know, this is all great. This is very ephemeral. I need to go get a real job and, um, you know, do architecture. And so Daryl's firm, Architecture and Light, was a place where I thought I could go and, and sort of get back into architecture after having been schooled for architecture. and. Thought it was a great place to go, and I think when I first interviewed there, and I met with all the partners, um, Daryl and I kind of connected because a lot of the work that I was able to show in my portfolio was was lighting related. Mm -hmm. Whether it was school projects, which I always had a lighting fascination in school, in architecture school. And then again, I didn't really sort of look back at any of that until maybe 10 years ago to understand that there was always this sort of underlying fascination with lighting. So that was apparent in my portfolio between the school projects and professional work with Barney's and whatnot, and my ability to talk about lighting and lamps and things of that nature. And so the first few weeks that I was at Barney, or sorry, at Architecture and Light, 
I, um, I worked on architecture projects, but then after not too long, I feel like Daryl was like, well, you know too much. I need your help over here in the lighting portion of the studio. Oh, unfortunate. Yeah, and then that was, that was the end of that for me. I was stuck on lighting, and I love lighting for, for so many reasons, um, because I love design. And so in lighting, we're able to work with so many people and I'm always sort of a fly on the wall for all these amazing projects and meetings and you're always learning from everybody. So it's sort of interesting to think about, um, you know, when you're an architect or you work in an architecture firm and you work on a few projects at a time for long durations, you sort of, you see what you see, you learn what you learn. In our office, our practice of lighting design, wherever you may be, you're working on several projects at a time, dozens. And you know, you're meeting with all of these people with all these different points of view and ideas. And so it's sort of amazing to sort of have all that pollination come in. And so you, and you have a whole different point of view much faster, I think, doing this, having that wide range of experience with different project types, different styles of design or architecture. And then to be able to bring that perspective to all your other projects. Whereas if you know, I had followed the thought that I was going to do architecture, yeah, within five years, I would have done five projects. But after five years, I had done, I don't know, 40 projects or something, yeah. probably. So as he recognized that you know too much, has had this happened because you were just soaking up so much knowledge or you know so much about lighting or became lighting such a fascination that you just like read a lot about it? Or are you just a good observer? I, well, I think observation is the key. Yeah. I really think that you know, most of my learning, and, and no offense to college or anything, I really feel like a lot of it's by just being in the world and seeing, and I credit Eric with a lot of that, Eric Kahn, who we talked about earlier, with the sort of idea of, of you know, seeing things and then sort of recontextualizing them, taking that information in, applying it later in, in your experience. This is why everyone talks about travel. Oh, after college, go travel. The idea is to go see and experience things, and then take those learnings, those experiences, and then put them into practice in your adult professional life. And I think that that I learned that in a in a in a similar way. I think it was just wasn't necessarily explained to me in, in such a fashion. And so I was able to take that and and I still feel like everywhere I go I'm always looking at everything. I'm absor absorbing everything. I love like I said, I love design in all of its forms. Fashion, you you name it, I'm a fan. And um, hopefully I bring that knowledge with me into, into the work world. And I think that's part of what Daryl was talking about. So I was able to take a lot of that information in because I had, had a lot of hands-on experience touching light fixtures and focusing and that kind of a thing. That's, I think, what it, what it was. Um, you know, Daryl's a great friend to this day, you know. How long have you been working there or with him? I think I worked with Daryl for about three years before a client hired me away. How did this happen? Uh, well, we were working for this client and then it was a retail client. And because they knew I had this retail background and this design background, um, they were interested in what I, I might be able to do for them. And it wasn't a lighting position, it was going back to architecture, store design as it were again. Um, and so that's where You know, I think everything then gelled again. I had another set of amazing influences between Mickey Drexler, who was the CEO of the company at the time. This was for The Gap. Oh, wow. And then um, another gentleman named Mark Dvorak, who was uh, my boss there, a very creative person who came from Ralph Lauren. So obviously, you know, the Ralph Lauren seeds are everywhere, and there's such an amazing DNA in that culture that sort of has 
has come out. So I really had an amazing group of people um, that have sort of, you know, shown me the way or learned in, in some fashion from all these types. Yeah. And did this happen while you were still working or did you, at what point did you say, okay, I start my own, I, I make myself independent and I'm... Well, that was never sort of an intentional thing. I really didn't imagine. I still at this point was confused on, on what I really wanted to do. I, mean, I love design, like I said, in all of its forms. And I love the ability to sort of work in a, in a world that included fashion, um, which I'm still very passionate about in some, in some ways. As I said, you have my T-shirt mm -hmm. and my Vans. But um, the idea that you know, there's just something there, there's a storytelling to all those things, right? So when you're designing for a brand, you're creating a story that's unique to that brand, whether it's Barney's or Gap or Sephora or any number of, of people we work mm -hmm. with. You know, I, I love telling that story, I suppose, and I, and I think that was a part of it. So things seem to sort of always happen sort of naturally to you. Sure. But opening your business with, or let's say, let's, let's not say opening, let's say like segue into your business with 25 years, how, like I, there are so many things that, okay, I, like I said, it totally wasn't intentional. Not. There was, there was, there was, there was no, there was no way in my mind that I ever think that that would be the case. I always thought, oh, when I'm 40 or 45, it'd be great to have my own practice. It sort of just happened naturally. I, I was, I was in a relationship and, and, um, she took a, a job elsewhere, sounds familiar. And then, um, you know, I, I, I moved with her and then I kind of had nothing to do. And I had, I had a freelance project that I was working on um, for a friend. And then the next thing I knew, we would moved across the country. And next thing I knew, former clients started looking for me. And again, this is about the time of email coming out and all of that. And mm -hmm. so... So I sort of lucked into a handful of what I would have thought were just freelance projects yeah. for retail brands, yeah. a couple of different retail brands. And then that just became steady. And then there was more, then there was houses, and then there was other things. And then it just kind of happened. But it was w without any intention of sort of putting my, my you know, Word hanging my shingle or whatever. And, and there was no marketing or any of that kind of thing. It's a different different world. Is this something that you still do today that you appreciate sort of a natural flow and you just look for positive things or coincidences or have you actively pursued something that you thought okay that that that's something I would like to do or yeah, I mean, I, ideally, every everything is a is a passion, right? I, I think I'm you know, I'm very passionate about design and lighting in particular, and and how we can affect those spaces. I think there's, again, this idea that I'm a fan of design, and so I I have a lot of architects and interior designers that I'm that I'm whose work I very much admire and, and would love to to work with and learn from and participate in and and help to round out their vision for a project. And so I do think that there are there are designers or projects out there that I that I want to pursue that we don't maybe have a relationship with going into it. And then there's obviously a lot of the, the work that we do is relationship-based. And so, you know, fortunately in the lighting business, I feel like, you know, that, you know, when an architect who you have a, a well-established relationship with, with negative project, you get a look at that project too. And right. so it sort of makes the marketing efforts maybe a little easier Although the scale of projects for us is very different than the scale of a project for an architect. So I think that it's, you know, very different in that regard. But I do, 
yeah, there are certainly projects that I want to work on that we don't work on that I see that I, you know, I wish that we were doing whatever it may be. Is there a project that's sort of on your wish list that you say, okay, we would like to do that or, or maybe a client where you, th where you say, okay, well, th this, this work is interesting. I would like to contribute. tough question I think there's really there's there's so much yet that I want to do I also recognize that we're good at what we're good at and we have sort of a space that we work in that's really um, the best for everybody you know I, I think when I was 25 starting on my own you know I, I was fortunate that I was able to learn a lot on the job um, and I was very anxious to learn and I don't want to say that I learned on somebody else's dollar or dime um, but there probably was some of that, you know, but I think that it just being me, I didn't feel like there was, you know, I didn't charge much. I, I certainly worked my butt off and, and delivered, I think, some really handsome work um, that didn't matter how old I was. And I think I proved that, um, although the age thing has had always been and even to this day in some way, I, I still have the stigma about age or experience or some idea about that because I didn't have a lot of formal training, you know, to A, have a business, or B, formally trained in lighting is much more sort of intuitive than technical, and then the technical kind of came from doing. But to sort of go back to the question about projects, I think, like I said, I think, you know, retail we're really great at and have a lot to offer there. I think, you know, homes I think we're really good at and have a lot to offer there. And I, so just great retail stores, great great homes. Um, you know, we do a lot of other stuff too. I mean, I'd love to do a museum project, a full museum project. We've done bits and pieces of museums, but never a full, full project. Um, but again, that's sort of an, you know, what I imagine a museum project looks like. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sort of developing an infrastructure, I suppose. It's less about actually lighting objects and things because yeah. that's usually done by the museum crew maybe but I love lighting art and so I think there's something to that that's exciting to me because I love the context I love those environments those are things I relate to yeah um, so uh, just dialing back a, back a little bit to the moments of like age has there how did you approach this or do you remember a situation where a person said like uh, why should I why should I hire you or why should I believe you or people on the design team that said okay how did you approach this did you just compensate with creative ideas or did you just show through knowledge I think once you're in the door I think that's you know ob obviously what there is to do and, yeah. and hopefully what you bring to the project regardless of your age uh, I think that a lot of it was sort of the first impression problem the idea that oh here comes this this punk yeah totally you know <laughs> and I grew up a surfer and, I, and and so I kind of like probably always have some of that in me and so I think that there is a little bit of this like what am I really seeing here what am I getting if I hire this kid uh, that kind of a thing but I you know hopefully that's all just the surface right don't judge a book by its cover so um, and, and hopefully by now we've, we've, we've established that that's something else. But I do, I do think that I had a, a huge stigma around the age thing. And, and when, I, when I first moved and I was on my own and trying to develop work outside of the, the retail clients that I already knew from past experience, it was you would meet with these, you know, we moved to the Midwest for two years. And so you met with you know, older gentlemen, suits and ties, um, engineers and they just size you up and that first impression 
you know, you have to be able to speak that language right away and demonstrate that you have experience, that you've delivered projects and you haven't just designed projects, right? There's something very different about, you know, oh, I've designed however many projects, but we've completed so many projects and these, and these are what they look like and this is what the challenges were and this is how we accomplished it, I think was very different. But there was a time obviously when that wasn't the case either. And so you have to just speak from your heart and your soul and the things that you believe in that could make their work better with your being there. And, um, you know, even so then I moved again, you know, to another place before I moved back to, to LA. But, you know, it was the same thing then when I was sort of even meeting the local salespeople. It was like, oh my gosh, you're so young. You're wearing shorts and you're doing this and that. And it's like, and it's like, yeah, then so you then you want to lie about your age. I had this immediate instinct to justify myself by saying, oh, I'm 35, I'm 40 or whatever. Probably looks nothing like it. But it's just sort of like was this immediate, like, how do I change the way this person looks at me? Because they clearly look at me and they wonder what's really what. Um, kind of the only time in my life where I ever felt sort of where I was being judged in a way that age really mattered because age doesn't matter to me um, experience ideas whatever it may be whether that's friends yeah. clients I mean I have clients that are way younger than me now and I'm still very young in my mind so when we have clients who are 25 and 30 years old it's like I get it because I was there yeah um, maybe I wasn't the money like the, the, you know, to be a client, but I was there to be in the place where I had to make those decisions and make those, those things. So, um, I don't know, it's very interesting. I don't think it's a super common thing. Have you been able to shake this off? I think in a lot of ways I have, um, just because I think I, I, I've done a lot. Eno you know? Enough to. Yeah. I think it's, I have enough too. We have a broad portfolio with a you know pretty dynamic and broad range of projects. So I think that it speaks for itself now. So I don't feel um, as immediately judged. And I also sort of feel like, again, sort of fast forwarding, we have websites, we have Instagram, we have all these sorts of things. So people check you out now in a way that they couldn't necessarily before. Before it was word of mouth. They'd call you, you'd send them a portfolio or you'd meet with them and show them a portfolio. And at that time, I was like, I like to send it in advance before meeting them so that they already had a sense of who I was before the 28-year-old or 30-year-old walked in the door and said, I have a firm and I have a staff and we can do these things. Um, and then I think the challenge after that was just sort of, you know, getting paid what you were worth. Again, I think you meet somebody who's very experienced in the world and they look at you and think, oh, well, you're only... 30 years old, you don't need to make much money. You don't really have overhead, do you? You must work out of your garage, even though that wasn't the case. And so I think there's sort of combating all those sorts of things, I think, were, were the challenges I felt like, you know, back then. Over the course of now your 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 business, has, has something changed of how you value light or how people experience light? Hmm. Well, lighting sure has changed since the time that I started my business. Um, you know, we went from from lamps of various stripe to, you know, pretty much everything is LED now, um, which we were holding on for dear life in California for our, our halogen stuff in, in houses just because of color and beauty and dimming and all of that. Um, but, you know, yeah, sure, I think people's perception of lighting has changed. I, I really think um, people's perception of design changed a lot after September 11th, I feel like there was sort of this desire to nest afterwards. And so home became much more important. And then 
with that and you know the internet and magazines like at the time wallpaper those sorts of things I felt like really sort of gave made design a little more accessible and then people sort of started talking about everyone knew what a, a pick a pick a designer table was or a lamp or something and so suddenly there was much more interest in that and it was more um, out there so like it was sort of like you know everyone knew what I don't want to say everyone but people who who looked at fashion everyone sort of like had household names and I feel like interior design and architecture to some way has become that way since that time and so do you have the feeling that people value light more than before or the val the value of lighting design I think everyone thinks that lighting is the most important thing, right? Anytime you talk to somebody and you tell them what you do, oh my God, lighting is so important. It's the most important thing. Um, translate that into the business world and maybe it's not the most important thing because, you know, architecture or design or furniture or fabrics or whatever the thing is that someone can touch and respond to is the most important thing because lighting is invisible. Yeah. You know, they look at lines and dots and hardware samples, which are far from sexy, and you can't really evaluate that on the client side unless there's a context. And so without context or a proper mock-up or something that really is a, a full mock-up, not just I plugged in a, a tabletop sample to, to demonstrate something to someone, they don't really understand it. Um, I do think, like I said, everyone says lighting is super important. However, you know, we all know where that really ends up. Um, and I think for some people it truly is. Clients who have, have worked with lighting consultants or have worked with us um, or have built projects before whether with a lighting consultant or not, have sort of learned one way or another that lighting is, in, in fact, important. And then they come back and they hire a lighting consultant the next time out. You now, lighting is a, is a rarefied thing, right? It's only the top projects, really, at some level, are the ones that are getting lighting consultants. You know, when you look at how big the sort of construction economy is, most projects don't get the expertise of a lighting consultant. And so, obviously, you know, we are the people that are, you know, ultimately, the trickle down from what we're doing finds its way to, to that side of the, the construction economy over time, um, whether it's product design that ends up out there or it's you know lighting techniques that people see and emulate, whatever. So there's certainly an appreciation for it. I think it's still a bit of a, a commoditized thing. I think when we go to the, you know, we sit at the table with a series of architects or designers, we still sort of fight for this, this position that we're visual consultants. You know, we're not sort of lumped in with the the team that makes hot or cold air or hot or cold water, you know, which they're, you know, the, how that's how that's done maybe isn't as interesting and, and the clients don't need to sit there and have meetings about refrigeration units or whatever, it may be heat pumps, but they're very interested to know what the lighting is. And so I think we're still trying to elevate the conversation of lighting to really be, you know, like because there's always the prime consultant, the architect, the interior designer. And then there's the lighting consultants, MEP consultants, structural, and then the list just goes on forever depending on what the project is. But we're trying to get ourselves out of that sub-consultant pool and try and get ourselves a seat at the design consultant table because we can make or break the architecture or the interior design. And so that's, a, I think, a big part of uh, the perception shift that then justifies the fees and the amount of hours that it really takes to take someone else's vision and translate it. So to answer your question at the end of the day, yes, I think lighting is valued. I think it's valued by a, um, a select group. I think architects and designers, the ones we work with, I think certainly understand it. That's why we're doing it with them over and over again. And then I think that there are, you know, there's certainly a savvy client group 
you know, I mean, retail is sort of the one thing that really tells you the value of lighting. All retail projects have lighting consultants. Right. They understand what it means to their bottom line, yeah. to their brand identity. It's huge. And then, so I think that then there's that sort of trickle down of how does that find its way into other projects? I mean, hotels are the same way. They understand it's a huge part of their identity and the experience of staying in a hotel and getting people to come back to that property. Nobody wants someone to come and shop once or stay once. They want them to come back time and right. time again. Right. So we talked a little bit before about um, education and, and young people entering the industry and that there is already or there is a huge demand for good lighting designers. Um, there are programs out there and they focus highly on technical aspects but also creative aspects. Do you think that in order to make to give lighting design a, a, a like a bigger business um yeah um, uh, more square footage in terms of business understanding that lighting becomes more important as like a as like a valuable or a valued asset do you think business should make its way into into the education of a lighting designer as well i think that's true for all design professions actually i feel like every every You know, when I was in school for architecture, we never heard anything about business or anything other than architecture, right? So, you know, now at the school that I went to, they now have a building, building systems class, okay? So you learn a little bit about HVAC, a little bit about plumbing, and a little bit about lighting, like one class, I think, actually, maybe two. Um, so I think that, that there is, for, for the business side, I think it's super important, because I also think when you develop talent in a school to go out, they, they're going to work for businesses. And those businesses, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're a business. You've got to keep the doors open, keep the lights on, and, and you know, pay for 10, 12, 15, 20, whatever size firm it may be. It's a lot of people to take care of, a lot of families to be responsible for. And so I think it's um, really important that they understand at least the value of what they're doing or understand what they're doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it, what the different parts and pieces are, and not just to make beautiful work, I mean, I think, if, you know, ultimately, I think as creatives, beautiful work is, is our goal. And, you know, we're lucky enough to have a business that then allows us to do that with some freedom. And I think that's part of why, you know, I have my own practice, I suppose. I'm not trying to get rich. I don't think this is the place to do that. Um, but I think that, you know, I don't know. Beauty is still, is still paramount to me. Um, business is great, um, but it just has to make sure that everyone's taken care of along the way. Yeah. So as you've learned a lot of things sort of along the way, do you still have mentors today that you sort of turn to or people where you say, okay, I have now this issue or this problem or are these, yeah. I mean, Daryl and I still speak fairly regularly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we share challenges, whether they're design challenges or business challenges. Um, so I think maybe it, it goes both ways now a little bit. And then I think, you know, over time, I've met other, other people um, that I think highly of that are peers and we're able to exchange that information. I think it's a funny thing. I, I feel like there, for a long time, everyone was very, um, keep all their information close to their chest and you know what was, they think is their secret sauce or, or what it may be but I, I feel like at least in in my generation and younger people are much more willing to share that information and I design, I belong to a, a group that's primarily architects and interior designers where they have annual forums 
and everyone gets together and the conversations are really open about their business, their business challenges, the value of design for them obviously translates to lighting. Um, and so it's interesting. I think that people are much more open with it today than they, than they were maybe 10 years ago where everyone, you know, so competitive, the market, I think it's all sort of flattened a little bit. And I think everyone's willing to sort of share more of that information. So I, I feel lucky to have friends in a handful of states that I can, you know, come to here in New York, back in Los Angeles. So coming towards sort of the, the end and the more the last questions, now looking back and maybe as focused as an advice for um, young designers now, when you look back to 1997, I think, when you started being 25, to your, to your 25 self, is there something that you would say, just believe in yourself and just go as you did it and do it over again? Or is there something you would now say, okay, maybe um, make your left and their right turn? It's funny to ask me that question because I'm the, the person who's never had a roadmap. You know, this all started by chance for me. Um, and I just sort of learned that it's amazing and I love it. Um, I never really knew where I was heading with it. I just sort of took it day by day and, and I've, I feel like I've been been very lucky and, you know, in some cases successful in spite of myself. Um, I do think, you know, be the best at what you're what you're doing, I think, is, is key. You know, put in the time, put in the hours. That's not to say work 20 hours a day. I mean, I did do that, and I don't want to do that anymore, honestly. But I do think that you have to find a way to to see the work done. There's, there's no substitute for putting your hands in a light fixture and touching it and seeing what it does in the context of a project, not just like that tabletop sample because it's completely different. And the more you have an understanding of light, the more you can contribute, you know. And so, you know, we get the question in our office, what's it take to be at this level in the office? And it's like, well, you know, the honest answer is you, you have to have, have done enough of it from soup to nuts to sort of really understand so that you can contribute. I mean, drawings can be beautiful and, and get you there. And, you know, you learn all the technical components, like you said previously, But I think there's, you know, focus on projects and get out there, get your hands, you know, roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty, so to speak. And I think that's the best thing that sort of advances you. And I think the more experience you have, the more you can talk about it technically, controls, all that sort of stuff. Just be like super passionate about it and observe. The observing thing I really can't, you know, say enough about it. I really feel like, you know, I'm an observer. And then I just sort of take those ideas and sort of, you know, reorganize them in some fashion and it finds their way into a project five years later, ten years later, ten minutes later. I could see something today and put in a project tomorrow. I don't know. I just sort of am always learning. There's always something to see, you know, go to museums, go to restaurants, you know, travel, all that sort of stuff I think is, is key. There is no silver bullet, I guess, is what I'm saying. You know, lighting is sort of one part of, of how it works. I think at the end of the day, our goal is not solely lighting, but it's a complete environment where lighting is sort of the component that sort of transforms the space. So you have to really understand the environment that you're working in, the context. You know, I think that, you know, so many architects like to send you, like, you're, okay, you're hired, you're ready to go. They send you an RCP. 
and you're like, what am I going to do with this? I have no idea what I'm lighting. I have no idea what the section looks like, or the elevations, what my lighting targets may be, like if I need to light an object, um, what the finishes are. Is it moody? Is it bright? Be happy. You know, what's what's the, what's the the thinking? And so you need to see materials and all those sorts of things. So really, it's it's all investigation. And then the answers can be quite simple sometimes. It's just I think there's sort of something about just you know here in Manhattan, you can walk anywhere and you can see a hundred things in in a day. Take all that in and sort of understand what it means when you walk into the coffee shop, the fast food restaurant. There's no fast food restaurants here. You know, whatever it may be, yeah. you know, retail store, and understand what makes that environment feel that way. And then find out how to, you know, store that in your memory, you know, inspiration pages, but in your mind, you know. Understand, like, oh, I see that light did that over there or didn't do that over there, like they thought it might or something, you know. I think you have to be really critical. Not in a negative way, but really in a... Internalizing and understanding why things are happening away the way they are happening. Yeah, which you like and don't like. Super important. Yeah. So I certainly like this interview and this conversation. Um, I really appreciate your time. Where can people find you and is there anything that you would like to um, give everyone on its way? Or his or her? <laughs> <laughs> uh, usually I'm in Los Angeles. Um, you know, you're welcome to, to look us up on our website or Instagram or any of those sort of things. Um, You know, always happy to have a conversation with someone, you know, help to inspire in the same way that, that others have inspired me. Um, so I think it's just, you know. I really appreciate it. Sean O'Connor, thank, thank you so much for your time. All right, thanks so much, Thomas. And that was the conversation I had with the fantastic and amazing Sean O'Connor. So my whole interaction and time with him was just absolutely pleasant and just a great experience. So please check out his company and his work and his projects under seanoconnorlighting.com. Follow him on Instagram under the same name. And while you're already on the platform listening to this show, please give a thumbs up and give a good rating that helps all of us stay lit. <laughs>